This is the Speaker for the Living podcast, exploring the depths of human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Speaker for the Living. I am Seth Dare. And I am JJ Jamflone. And today, today, we're going to talk about a magazine cruise and the youth who uh, look for adventure and a little bit of money and sometimes are exploited in the process. Mm-hmm. So magazine crews are a subset of traveling sales crews. What are traveling sales crews, JJ? So sales crews are groups, um, normally younger people, typically sort of teenagers, young adults, college-age people, who travel literally as door-to-door salesmen. And they move uh, throughout, generally what we're going to be talking about is the United States, selling a variety of things. In particular, what we're going to be talking about today are magazine crews, but there are certainly other examples of sort of the door-to-door salesmen in these sales crews, people selling encyclopedias, uh, people selling cleaning products, uh, vacuum cleaner, just sort of, if, if it can mm-hmm. be sold door-to-door, there's probably a crew out there selling. Right, and uh, I've, I've had a relative who used to sell vacuum cleaners, and, and in that case, that, that was in the local area. And uh, when we're talking traveling sales crews, it's often not going to be the local area, but they will travel from place to place. And because they're traveling place to place the person who's running the crew has a little more control and the people who are part of the crew and many of them are young then are a little more vulnerable to what happens because they're not in their normal area where they know the the landscape Exactly. And so what also we've seen is particularly U.S.-based is that occasionally what you'll have are sort of high school or college-aged people coming from other countries, so their grasp of the English language might not be great, into smaller U.S. communities to sell these products door-to-door. And so these also aren't people, it's not like they're setting up shops, say, in Denver for the entire summer, just moving from area to area. It's that they may have one week in one city, one week in another city. And I also can think of the example from where I grew up in Pennsylvania, where you had a school fundraiser where they would go to their school district and they would go door to door selling in their neighborhood. That is not what we're talking about. However, when you see a teenager coming to your door offering you a magazine, you don't necessarily know where they're from, whether they're local or not, unless they say, and even then you don't necessarily know whether they're telling the truth. So traveling magazine crews, what type of ad might a person see if they want to look at being in a crew? So this is an advertisement and I will link you to it for a actually widespread um, magazine and book crew organization that's been flagged several times um, as a scam and sold. So I'm going to read this sort of application and ad for you, which I found through Craigslist 
to you. Money is only the beginning. While the money you make in our program could be very nice, there's something else you'll gain that will stay with you for life. It's the experience. You're going to learn how to handle yourself in a completely new foreign environment. You'll gain confidence. You'll learn how to face rejection. You'll learn what it takes to be your own boss. And at the end of it all, when it's all said and done, you'll experience a deep sense of pride and respect toward yourself like never before. After all, our program isn't easy. It's not for everyone. So when you come in on the other side, you're going to be a whole new you. Wow, I, I'm sold. You, you should also yeah. do advertising. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's sort of one of those things where like, if you ever had a relative who sold Avon or mm -hmm. Tupperware or, you know, sort of anything that kind of is a mid-level marketing scheme. You can see sort of the allure of, of these sorts of advertisements and magazine sales because they promise you a lot, especially if you're unfamiliar with these sort of pyramid style schemes, that you'll be your own boss, that you'll make a lot of money, that normally what they say is that you have 100% commission from the sales that you're making. That doesn't tell you what the other inherent costs are and that you don't have a base pay. And there's also something very attractive about this that I'm learning skills. And this is particularly why I think that a lot of times these advertisements target younger people because they're looking for movement. You know, these are people who are like, well, I might not make a ton of money and I might not have any benefits, but I will get to travel. I will get to learn something. This is actually going to be useful for me rather than, say, taking an unpaid internship. Yet, and I'm going to link you to this uh, I found, based on this ad, when I was searching for it, I found a Reddit Ask Me Anything thread of a girl that had done this for two summers and talking about sort of what her base, what she ended up making, and she didn't really net, when, you, when it comes down to it, a lot, having to stay with host families or having to stay with the magazine crew as a whole. So like Seth, as you mentioned, one of the things that's a problem is you're basically, you're labeled as a private contractor if, if you even have any sort of legal standing whatsoever under this line. So I go in to be a salesman. I respond to one of these ads, say on Craigslist, a lot of times they'll recruit at college campuses or outside high schools at the mall. So they're getting young people. And I go, great, like I get to go to California, as a, as a kid growing up in Pittsburgh, California was always kind of the farthest magical land. So I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to go to California. I'll go to door to door. I like people. I'll learn skills and I'll make all this money. I'll be free. But you're subservient to the person that you're signed up under in this magazine crew, sort of this underboss. And that underboss is the one who is going to set your level of commission what area you're selling. So are you selling in, say, a very affluent area or a poverty-stricken area? Are you in a safe area? Are you in a high-crime area? How you're traveling? Do you have your own car? Do you have transportation? Are you relying on biking, walking? Are you relying on someone else driving you? How much of what you actually make do you get to keep? And then what, as we see so often in labor trafficking, what fees are they taking from you? So in the case of magazine sales, for every magazine that you sell, did you have to front the money for those magazines? Or are you being charged sort of an insane amount, say like over $100 a day, for the right to sort of sleep in a shady motel room with like 19 other teenagers 
with just ramen noodles provided. What what is your actual living experience going to be like? And so I'll start off with a few reader reactions to a Houston Press article that talked about the problems of magazine sales crews. And in this case, they had a decent experience. And so I, I we don't want to paint magazine no. crews as necessarily bad all the time. Well, it's kind of like anything selling door to door, any sort of business experience, as we've talked about with labor trafficking. There are businesses that on the surface are kind of very exploitative just in the way that they're created or the way that they're handled, you know, that sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that every single one is exploitative. Exactly. And in this case, when you have people who are independent contractors, where the people running the crew have a lot of control just by virtue of having a traveling group of independent contractors in other locations that are unfamiliar, where mm -hmm. they where they know what's going on and where they're controlling the living situation. If somebody is not a high integrity person, there, there's lots of ways that that can become abusive, if not a trafficking. But to start a little more positive, so Houston Press, uh, two responses. One was Katie from Minneapolis. I sold mags. It was a great experience. It is all about connecting with the person you are trying to sell in a matter of 10 to 15 seconds. You can tell by that time if you can close the deal or not. Not many people are that interested in buying an $11 subscription for $30. That was our cheapest. $11 for the actual magazine. Double that for $22, then add $8 for process and handling. $5.50 went to the manager and the other $5.50 went to the salesperson. Great experience if you have nothing and would like to see the country. So the one I just read, she, she enjoyed the travel, but it doesn't sound like it was a big moneymaker. Okay, number two, armed homeowner from Bedford. Another side, the article really paints a different kind of picture than what I saw. I guess I was lucky. My manager never gave us drugs and never supplied us with anything illegal. We ate every day because you have to eat. The guy was good and ran a tight ship. There were a few times we had people in our group that were arrested for soliciting without a permit. The manager always came to bail us out at his expense. From the article, it sounds like those groups got the worst of the kids. We didn't have that high of a turnover ratio. If you didn't sell any mags for two straight days, you were sent home with a paid Greyhound bus ticket. And that's the second one. Now, part of what's already interesting is the good reviews still showed flaws in the way this works. Oh, yeah. And then I'll, I'll lead sort of the worst case scenario narrative, which was from an interview that was given to the New York Times from a someone who had just graduated from high school. So we don't get at his exact age. We can guess probably certainly under 21, but around 18, coming from Miamisburg, Ohio. Over the next six months, Jonathan Pope and about 20 other crew members crossed 10 states, peddling subscriptions door to door, 10 to 14 hours a day, six days a week. Sleeping three to a room in cheap motels, lowest seller on the floor, they survived some days on less than $10 in food money while their earnings were kept, quote, on the books, unquote, for later payment. 
By then, Mr. Pope said he had seen several friends severely beaten by managers, and he and several other crew members were regularly smoking methamphetamine with prostitutes living down the motel hallway, and there were warrants out for his arrest in five states for selling subscriptions without a permit. And that, if you substitute sort of magazines, this is the same narrative that Seth and I have talked about a ton when it comes to human trafficking. I, I think one of the reasons why people in this field get burned out so much is that there's very few new stories. It's always someone who was young and vulnerable and was looking for something, generally, or, or vulnerable for other reasons that may not be tied to their age, who is overworked, who is controlled, who has their sleep intake, their food intake, and as we've talked about several times, drugs often become a component moving very quickly so you can't form relations with people and then fear that if you try to leave you're going to be beaten and uh do you have any other narratives about what being in a magazine crew is like oh my goodness so many but again it's it's very similar in that what you typically have young people who are somehow lured or convinced either through an advertisement or through one-on-one interactions to join magazine crews. So again, not super different from sort of the narratives we have, particularly within sex trafficking of how people are kind of brought into it. And that once it starts, because people are moving from state to state so very quickly, particularly international, uh, sort of minors that have come into the field or young people that they have a high rate of disappearances, uh, reported rapes, assaults, uh, van rollover incidents. So in one particular case that I'll talk about a little bit later, legislation actually followed after a group of teenagers who were so exhausted from being forced to go from place to place actually had a car accident with um, immense casualty abandonments and suspicious deaths. Now on the abandonments end, this is what we have happen when people are just dropped places. So we have the narrative of Lori Smith, who's 23, and said that she, her boyfriend, and their one-year-old son were dropped at a bus stop by their crew manager in Phoenix with no money to get home to Illinois, which was their state of origin. And so what happens a lot is that if a a magazine seller or sort of a crew seller is no longer making money or if they become ill, if they get injured, if they have attracted police attention either by getting a warrant for selling without a permit or if they get picked up, say, for being underage. Some states have pretty firm curfew laws or pretty firm laws about your ability to have like free movement of someone under the age of 18. Uh, underage drinking, things like that. So if you get picked up for one of those things and now you're a liability to the crew, you might be left. Or if just you've convinced the crew that even though you might still be valuable for them, you need to go home, you need to leave. You've had contact with some people on the outside who are looking for you. What they'll do is they'll just abandon you. And that literally means that when they move on to the next place, they just leave you. If you're lucky, they'll drop you at sort of a bus stop or a train station. But for the most part, they literally just pick up shop and leave. And because all of your earnings are supposed to come to you at the end of your so-called contract, at the end of the time that you're working, you may be owed thousands upon thousands of dollars on this book 
But making that book actually become a reality when it's really sort of some internal calculus that's done by someone who really is a criminal and a human trafficker, how are you going to get that? We also have the issue of people who work within these crews being given a quota, and that's a certain amount of money that needs to be brought in per day. We see this with force begging as well. And if they don't bring in that quota, then they don't have access, say, to food, or they don't have access to housing, or they don't have access to, uh, in one case, there was the case of, it just is Linda M., and again, I'm linking to these stories, who was selling magazines door to door. And if you didn't hit a certain quota for a certain number of days, you were no longer permitted to have a ride in the car. You were then responsible for traveling on foot by yourself. You also then have, again, you still have this threat of beatings. And that's when the suspicious deaths kick in. There are a number of parents who have come forward or family members that have reported in particular, what I'm citing is um, a 25-year-old named Jonathan Terrell Stewart in 2015 uh, who was found in a motel room dead of a drug overdose while he was working with a magazine crew, but all of his belongings were gone with the crew, so it took a while to identify him. And so it's you end up with these weird sort of situations where you do have people who die of drug overdoses, you have people who die in suspicious circumstances, but there literally is no one with them when they're found, no one's reported it. So trying to backtrack when you have people who are already maybe six states over is quite difficult. And do we have any numbers relating to magazine yeah. crews? So again, like most things in human trafficking, finding clear numbers is, is very difficult. What we have a better sort of response on are things coming directly from a 2015 Polaris report. As always, I love Polaris. If you're out there, Polaris, and you want to hire a not finished PhD student who likes wine, call me. Uh, so what we're looking at is more of instances of numbers reported typically when they were things involving law enforcement prosecution or policy that resulted. So in particular, like I had mentioned, there was the car accident. So in Wisconsin, there's something called Melinda's Law that was passed in 2009, which is a law that deals directly with traveling sales crew members, specifically magazine sales, and happened after there was a van accident that killed seven teenage members of a magazine's sales crew. And so that's something that sort of her family then pushed through that is like a direct federal government response to sales crews. But to answer your initial question on just numbers, we have reports of about over a period of not quite 10 years, about over 461 cases being reported to the human trafficking hotline saying that they particularly were dealing with sales crews and then of that number and bear in mind that just because it's a report of one doesn't mean it's a report of every single person it's just a report of an instance so say like a house fire that deals with 35 people that's just going to be one instance that's not number of victims or survivors so we have this 461 instances and of those 64 percent of them referenced magazine sales directly so magazine sales do make up the largest portion of those door-to-door -door crews. 
with smaller portions being made up of sort of miscellaneous things. So that can be things like people selling everything from like hoagies to jewelry, uh, then a, about 10% relating just things like candy or cookies. I'm sure we've all seen somebody standing outside of, say, a, a Walmart or something selling candy. Sometimes it's Girl Scouts. Sometimes it's sort of an unknown entity. Then a smaller percentage selling cleaning products and then coupon books, which shocked me because I think I've probably – I have had teenagers come to my door and try to sell me coupon books before – uh, and it didn't occur to me, even though I knew this about magazine sales, there's something about a coupon book I think that's just so wholesome <laughs> that it doesn't it doesn't grab me in the same way. And then in terms of where they're being made up, so we have over 50% of people in these magazine crews coming from the United States proper. But then of the remaining portion, you have international students or people who are not sort of quoting. So you might have people who are illegal immigrants initially uh, who are not or sort of um, unregistered migrants. But then you have 39% being people from foreign countries, foreign nationals who've come into the U.S. who are at even more of a disadvantage because they probably don't have someone in country that they can call. They're not so much aware of sort of U.S. labor laws and things like that. And of those, you're mostly looking at Eastern Europe, Estonia, Latin America, and Southeast Asia, which is not, I think, new for us. Seth. Those are all kind of big areas in terms of us having young adults trafficked into into the Americas, into the U.S. specifically. So in terms of how many youth are in traveling sales crews, the numbers are uh, not all that specific. I, I saw one that said around 15,000, and then the Atlantic article references an old Child Labor Coalition estimate of 50,000 youth. So you, you could say there, there's between 10 and 50,000 youth in sales crews. It's a broad number, but th there's a lot. Oh, Yeah. And it's also sort of one of those things, too, where, again, we're dealing with a profile that normally isn't identified as a human trafficking victim. Uh, to quote an article from The Guardian, these crews are not at all the stereotypical image of what people think of when they think of trafficking. What is so unique is that these are U.S. citizens, male, young adult victims. And that is so far from the dominant narrative of what people think about when they think about trafficking. And so and, – and that really is not – to me insane because if you have say three 18 year old boys look like that roll up on your front porch and give you a story because oftentimes these crews do provide this is part of how they get you in terms of telling people that they have a huge debt to pay off is that generally when you join the crew you go through a training period that can be anywhere from a few days to a few weeks where they teach you how to sell or, and they give you sort of a narrative you're supposed to give. You're raising money for a particular school, for a particular charity. You're trying to gain money for a summer camp. You know, if you look at any sort of neighborhood watch group, you're going to start to see references of, did you get someone trying to sell you magazine store to door? Is it a scam? Is it not? That's actually what prompted Seth and I of doing this podcast is I belong to sort of a neighborhood watch online selling sort of like fancy people Craigslist. And I got a lot of 
messages about people reporting door-to-door magazine sales were these legitimate were they coming from a real school and I'm going to read you actually the narrative that was initially posted I was approached by a guy going door-to-door he initially said that his mother had sent him out to work on his public speaking he then pulled out laminated cards and said that he was selling magazines for a fundraiser when she said that he when she said that she wasn't interested, he pulled out girly magazines and said that she could send magazines to the troops if she wanted. And it's identified, this guy's identified as a white male, age 16 to 25. And so luckily there were people who responded right away with, I think this is human trafficking. I think that, so at least this is kind of entering the public zeitgeist. But people were like, this is not okay. You should ask this person, who this young man who's selling things, like, is he okay? Do you, does he need to call someone for you? Is there anything that you can help him with? But if you kind of see in the way that it's initially presented, for a lot of people it is, oh, this is someone who's engaged in a criminal enterprise, and because it's a young man, I am – you know, most people kind of view that as someone who doesn't necessarily need assistance right off the bat. It's someone who might come across as a little aggressive, well, when you talk about business regulation and you you have the ones who don't want too many regulations because they can be onerous and certain regulations can be onerous, but then you have industries like this, which A, are hard to regulate because of the transitory nature of sales crews, and B, where the laws regulating the industry are said to be lacking. Yeah. And investigating this is also going to be challenging, again, because they're moving place to place. And then further, when you have laws that do regulate things like solicitation and where it's illegal in some places, and then you have people, even a good crew leader, supposedly, of this one guy, and the one I read earlier, where they were arrested. I mean, there's nothing responsible about putting youth in a position where they're arrested and then you bail them out and you're, I mean, I'm glad that he would bail people out, but the fact that they would put them in that position is irresponsible in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sort of the thing that's insidious uh, to me about all of this is that again, they're these traffickers who are making a lot of money and it's the, it's the distributors of these magazines on the higher end that are making this money. It's that, there is this very careful narrative of you can earn cash quickly, you can get to travel, you'll get this training. And by specifically looking at areas for young, unemployed or underemployed, educated people from low-income backgrounds, they're preying on people who know just enough to feel like they're not actually vulnerable but really do have fears about actually like sort of having any contact or being able to again have that social clout that they can call for assistance and have that assistance either legally or monetarily be provided and so some of the links like parent watch which was founded by somebody whose child almost ended up on one of these crews and the story there and so you have parents who have reason to be concerned because they may not know what type of experience their child is going to have, whether they're going to be taken care of and protected and so on. And then you have anyone who has a home and (laughs) all of us 
pretty much all of us, where we could have people selling magazines at, at our doorstep and then not know what their situation is. And in, in that case, um, do you have any advice on how to respond or any ways to inquire? Because one of the things with people that might be in an exploitive situation is you don't want to make their situation worse. Exactly. So this is sort of an instance was particularly if you have an individual who's on their own and they come to your door, you can ask, um, are, are they okay? Do they, do they need you to call anyone? And for, based on sort of that answer, you can kind of go from there, but you can alert the police particularly if you think that someone is underage. You can also contact the, contact the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which I think you and I have cited quite a lot, <laughs> uh, and report that this is an instance where you're concerned. And so you have sort of a variety of options with that. I just think what people need to remember is that, as you and I have talked about a lot, the force, fraud, and coercion aspect of this is not minor, workers are told are isolated they're moved around they have their wages held back so if you need this money say to start your semester at school you're threatened you're denied food you're denied water you're denied sleep you undergo physical or sexual assaults you also too when it's kind of in sort of this weird sort of hive that develops of multiple young people all of who are struggling to survive you have people who report on you to the higher ups, if you will, within the system that have, have the ability to harm you because they're trying to survive themselves. Members, if you displease someone, you could be dropped off in a high crime area. A lot of times people report assaults or arrests while they're out on the sort of out on the streets trying to sell things. The fact that you're incredibly tired, incredibly hungry, you're put in really dangerous situations, and when you have a really high quota, like say you've got to sell 10 subscriptions a day, and if you don't sell those, you're not going to eat or sleep, and you may be beaten, or you may be sexually assaulted, what are, what are you going to do except for try to sell these things by any ways necessary? We also do have reports, and I'm citing directly from the Polaris report, a case representative um, that of a girl named Samantha, that all of your paperwork, so your driver's license, uh, your birth certificate, if you're international, your passport, and then also too in many cases, your cell phone, your laptop, any sort of ability you had to contact the outside world to call home to your parents or, or whoever it is that you could call for assistance is taken from you. And many times destroyed and you're told, well, if you just make your quota, we'll give that back to you. If you make your quota, you know, you'll be able to go home. But until you do, you owe a lot of money. And that's just really difficult. And so when somebody comes to your door, they might be just fine. They might be having a good experience. But part of the challenge is to open up our awareness a little bit to realize that workers that we see that people coming to our door, that they might not be okay, that they might be in a position where there's some degree of exploitation or where they might need help. And, and this is where, like JJ mentioned, if it's one person coming to your door, if it's more than one, 
that's where it's more complicated because if somebody is knowingly being exploited, in other words, they know they're in a position that they don't want to be in, the person near them might be competition on the crew or a snitch or they might be a handler of some sort. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to endanger them by putting them in an awkward position. And that's where, in a lot of situations, like calling a hotline, calling law enforcement directly to let somebody who has experience and who can use force or in the case of the hotline, where they can know who to contact to address the situation. Because the other part, and I'm mentioning lots of parts, the other part is we also don't want you to endanger yourself. Yeah, exactly. You you definitely want to be safe. Uh, I think people have this inclination, particularly with human trafficking, if there's like a person at your door and they're in person and they're in front of you, but you're like, I want to help you. I want to be involved with you, but you, you really have to contact who you really need to contact the authorities directly for this in order to handle it. Just because one, it's dangerous for yourself. It can be very dangerous for the person that you're attempting to help. And then on top of that too, you can be putting yourself in a really rough position in terms of there are other people who are, at risk as well. These sales crews are not made up of just one person. And so it's just better to get human trafficking uh, experts involved than try to do it on your own. Well, and people who are in some sense trafficking, whether they know they're trafficking, they probably know they're doing something wrong, whether the people that are being trafficked know they're being trafficked, you know, but when they're having wages withheld, when there's fraud involved, if somebody's willing to do that, you don't know what they're capable of. And so that's one reason why having law enforcement involved is a good idea. Because if they're going to traffic people, they might be willing to be violent. Well, and also, too, you're just not qualified to to provide the level of sort of care and the level of services that a human trafficking victim or survivor needs, unfortunately. It's just that they're, what they need in terms of public services are going to be way higher than what sort of the average person on the street can provide. So what else would you like to say about sales crews or magazine sales crews, JJ? Hmm. That's really it. So there will be links in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Please take a look at some of them. Uh, see the journalistic articles, but but also uh, Parent Watch and some of the others where they can talk a little about legislation or lack of. And just learn a little bit more about the industry. And if it's something that your child, your teenager wants to do. Say no. Probably wise to say no. Oh, and and inform yourself and your and your friends. And buying magazines from these door-to-door companies and things like that—that's not going to help the person. I've I've run across a few, and they're linked in the narratives of people who thought that you know by purchasing a magazine that they were somehow or, or several magazine subscriptions 
um, that you can sort of provide some assistance for them. But in fact, that that's, that's the exact opposite because they, their quota is so high that there's no possible way you could do that. So your best bet, again, contact the authorities. Don't buy these magazines. Or if you're just really not sure, and uh, feel free to call the human trafficking hotline and ask for advice. And, you know, they, they will contact people. Agreed. And that's it. Magazine Cruise 101. And also check the legislation in your state. Uh, Wisconsin has a law with uh, regulation and specific criteria that, that have to be met. Uh, not every state does. So see if your state has laws. And if not, uh, and it's something you want to inquire about, then talk to your congressman, your, your state congressman. And the National Human Trafficking Hotline is 888-373-7888. Again, that is 888-373-7888. Or if I was somebody who was leaving a message, I would talk at this pace, <laughs> and then I would say, and uh, give me a call back at 888-373-7888. You can also Google it. They do take text messages. And bonus points, most important, is that I tell people, even if you only have an inkling, even if you don't feel like you have a definitive, we don't expect you to be a detective, right? So call, let them know what you've seen, let you know where it is, and then go from there. Right, and you mentioned Polaris, and they run the National Human Trafficking Hotline, correct? Correct. So when we're quoting statistics, and then we're mentioning the Human Trafficking Hotline, you know, they, they have actual hard data on this because of the hotline. And they do a lot of other research as well. And then finally, how I'm going to end it, my final message to all of you guys is just be safe out there. Be good. Be kind to one another. We need more kindness in the world. And on that note, it, it is good. You know, while disasters like Houston and the impending hurricane going into Florida, I mean, we're with you all, but it, it's a refreshing sign when these bad things happen that so many people come together and give up their time and try to help. And, and I'm thankful that there's, there's that in the world and that a lot of Americans help each other out during crisis. Because hmm. we all need to see the best of humanity at times and because there's lots of people that are, that are doing good things, that are caring about the people they know. There are, you know, and we can always pay attention and there are people who notice things and call hotlines and people get freed of situations that they don't want to be in. Hope is important. Skepticism can be good, but cynicism is one of those challenges. I, I get challenged with it. But 
be kind and keep some hope and think hold on to the good things you know we're we're talking about trafficking which means we talk our about lives are basically dark things a series of sad things right it, it was one of the things that uh, our professor told us early on in our human <laughs> trafficking class that you know we 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 operate in dark dark spaces and yeah. uh, talk talk about and research the darkness in humanity and so maybe if, if you're someone looking to make a positive change and you're looking, try, trying to think of how can I, I'm not involved in law enforcement, I'm not involved in social work, I'm not involved sort of in that sphere, how do I help sort of these crews from existing? How, how do I be a good person and, and try to prevent this particular type of human trafficking? And for that is volunteer at sort of local high schools or local colleges in terms of helping people with job placement. You know, if you know how to make a CV, offer internships, uh, hire young people, and then when you see these things, report them. That's well said. Involvement is always a good thing. Yeah, the more social connection these people have, and by these people I mean sort of these young people where you hear like, oh, hey, like to have an adult in their life because normally there's a very brief period between when they're recruited and they and they leave to join this magazine crew. So the more people feel like they have someone out there in the world caring for them, the less likely they are to be trafficked across the board. And so ends our magazine crew podcast. If all goes as planned, we will have a guest on next week. Yay! So, uh, we will talk to you then. All right. Bye, world. Be bye. Safe. This has been Speaker for the Living. For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com.